A new week, a new month, and that means a new show here on ESPN-UP. It is a sports pen coming at you for the first time in the month of December. I had Ryan Stieg here in the studio Friday afternoon. Right before we hit the air, I said, oh my gosh, the next time that we do a show together, it'll be December. Can't believe it. Tanner Hoops with you this Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. lot to jump into today. We had a big day in the NFL yesterday. It was a bad day if you were a betting man because there was a lot that went awry and went against the grain when it comes to Vegas and the sports books all over the country. Plus, we've got college football to break down. I've got some audio that I just can't wait to play. It's one of my favorite audio clips since I've come here to ESPN-UP and since it is now December and we're coming at you for the first time in this month of December, it is only appropriate that we can start our show with it. It gives me a perfect excuse to do this. If you remember last year, the actor who played Chewbacca in the Star Wars films passed away and to commemorate him, the Dan Lebitard Show with Stugatz, which airs here on ESPN-UP from 10 to 1 every weekday, decided to play Chewbacca's rendition of the song Silent Night. It has since been my favorite audio clip of all time, and I've been looking for another excuse to play it on here. We did so last year to commemorate the passing of the actor, and now we do it today to commemorate how it is officially Christmas time. It is officially appropriate now that we're post-Thanksgiving to have your Christmas tree up, your decorations out, get your halls decked, and to play Chewbacca singing Silent Night. That audio, once again, courtesy of the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gotts from about a year ago. I've saved it all this time because it's one of my favorites. We're getting ready for the holiday season. Only three weeks until Christmas. I know I can't believe it any more than you. And since we're off to such a flying start to the show in the month of December, I honestly want to hear it all over again. I just want to do it one more time. I tell you, I love the internet. Let's get into some football because we had a big day of it yesterday. Let's start with the Packers taking down the Giants 31-13. to I'm sure everybody's seen by now how empty that stadium was so close to kickoff. 
you know, sometimes that's the message that resonates with owners more than anything. The fan base sends them a message. Well, the Giants hung around. Green Bay ended up pulling away late with a couple of touchdowns as they went 31-13. to I've said on the show many times that I do like Pat Shermer. I do. I do. I think he develops a good offense and develops quarterbacks really well. That being said, I really got to reevaluate what I think of him as a head coach. Last week when the Giants lost to the Bears, I thought Pat Shermer called a heck of a game. Play calling was not a problem last week. Yesterday, play calling was a problem for the New York Giants. Pat Shermer, as good of a game as he called last week against Chicago, he called as equally bad of a game yesterday against Green Bay. Now, here's a stat that is interesting but misleading. Ben McAdoo, who, of course, was fired a couple of years ago and really his reputation hasn't recovered from it, went 13-15 and and made the playoffs before he was fired by New York. His first 28 games, he went 13-15 and with a playoff appearance. Pat Shermer in his first 28 games with the Giants, 7-21. and Now, I say that's a misleading stat because the cupboard was still fairly full when McAdoo was there. The Giants still had a good offensive line. They had a lot more weapons on defense. They had better weapons in the receiving core. Granted, they didn't have Saquon Barkley, but right now this team is only going to go as far as Saquon takes them. I didn't think Pat Shermer's job was on the line coming into this year. I thought as long as he reaches six wins, as long as there's progress, Dave Gettleman will keep him around because Dave Gettleman is all about progress no matter how small or futile it may be. Well, the Giants are 2-10, and ten, and they don't have too many more winnable games left on the schedule. The Giants are pretty much everybody's winnable game who still has them on the schedule. I don't know if the Giants are going to get the three wins, let alone six. I think Pat Schirmer's job is very much in question. I'm not saying he couldn't be a good head coach, but I'm starting to wonder if New York is the right fit. I think he could be a good head coach in the right situation. I know he'd be an excellent coordinator anywhere he goes. But the Giants are not in a position where they could be bringing back a coach who's 7-21 and in his first 28 games. Let's move on to the only team in the NFC East who did the division proud this week, the Washington Redskins. This was one of those shockers. They beat the Panthers 29-21. Here's the thing. This is how bad my week was in fantasy. You tell me if my logic was off here. I picked up Kyle Allen specifically because he's playing Washington. I already had Christian McCaffrey. I thought they're going to light up this Washington defense. And it just didn't happen. By the way, who could have foreseen Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle combined for nine points yesterday? I have Young Hoku. He got eight. The Atlanta Falcons kicker had eight points this week. McCaffrey and Kittle combined for nine. So now I need 14 points tonight between Josh Gordon and Chris Carson to keep my playoff hopes alive. That's neither here nor there. The Redskins, with one of the shockers yesterday, taking down the Panthers 29-21. How about the Bengals? They get their first win as they take down the Jets 22-6. That's like a low-enrollment high school football score. That's like a Division Eight high school football score. But it's a score that Zach Taylor needs to get his first win as an NFL head coach. Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, comes back. How about this for the Jets? How about this for stat of the day? The New York Jets are now the first team in NFL history to lose to multiple winless teams 
week seven or later into the NFL football season. They lost to Miami. They were the Dolphins' first win when the Dolphins were 0-7. And now they're the Bengals' first win when Cincinnati came in at 0-11. Congrats to the New York Jets. You've made history. The Tennessee Titans playing better football. Ryan Tannehill, 5-1 as the Tennessee starting quarterback. They get a big win yesterday over the Colts, 31-17. Titans are now 7-5. They control their own destiny. The Titans, as far as being a playoff team, they may not be in the playoff picture right now, but with the opponents on their schedule, they have the chance to bump Pittsburgh. The Titans do control their own destiny. Titans get a big win yesterday over the Colts. Meanwhile, the Ravens take down the 49ers 20-17 to in a game that lived up to the hype. We were all anticipating that's going to be a pretty good game. Lamar Jackson and Baltimore just have enough to edge out Jimmy G and that Niners squad. It was Justin Tucker with the game-winning 49-yard field goal. Mr. Reliable as time expires as Baltimore is suddenly the new top seed in the AFC. Meanwhile, the 49ers with a Seahawks win tonight would drop all the way from the one seed to the five seed in the NFC. After being the last unbeaten team in the NFL, the Niners could be a wildcard team by the end of the night. Still a lot of football to go, though. Tampa Bay got out to a 25-0 halftime lead over Jacksonville. That prompted a quarterback change. Minshew mania is back, ladies and gentlemen. Gardner Minshew came back, and he almost brought Jacksonville back. He gave him a chance to win, but Tampa Bay wins at 28 to 11. Minshew was 16 to 27, 147 yards, a touchdown and interception. That wasn't his fault. It bounced off the wide receiver's hands. His QBR was 71. At day's end. Nick Foles, meanwhile, 7 of 14, 93 yards, one interception, two lost fumbles, and a QBR of 42. There is a clear QB1 in Jacksonville, and I am here for it. That $88 million Nick Foles contract, it's not looking good for Tom Coughlin. Speaking of former Giants head coaches, Tampa Bay gets the win yesterday, 28 to 11. I tell you what, Byron Leftwich, give him a ton of credit. I know Bruce Arians is the guy that pulls the strings there. He's the QB whisperer. But Byron Leftwich, as an offensive coordinator, is no joke. Look for Byron Leftwich to have an NFL head coaching job in the near future. Maybe not next year, but in the near future. How about this one? Maybe the biggest shocker yesterday. The Dolphins beat the Eagles 37-31. Brian Flores knew that he had nothing to lose in this game as the Dolphins pick up their third win. He knew they had nothing to lose, and he showed it when his punter, is passing to his kicker. Matt Hawk, an Iowa native, by the way, is from West Des Moines, passes to Jay Sanders for a touchdown. On a trick play, that would give Miami the lead for good. And the Dolphins take down Philadelphia. Now let's overreact here just for a moment. Just for a minute, let's overreact. Carson Wentz was the front runner for the MVP two years ago. Went down with that injury. His team went on to win the Super Bowl without him. Yesterday, Eagles fans were burning his jersey. Videos on Twitter burning Carson Wentz's jersey. This is where I want to overreact. Could the Eagles be in the market for a quarterback? Could you add the Eagles and one other team I'm going to get to as teams that it would have sound crazy at the beginning of the year if they were in the market for a quarterback? But Carson Wentz just isn't playing good football right now. And I tell you what, you look at some of the quarterbacks that are hitting free agency, there are a lot of teams with a need to the quarterback position. I already mentioned Ryan Tannehill, 5-1 with Tennessee. He's going to be up for a new contract at the end of the year. 
he came to Tennessee on a one-year deal. If they're not willing to give him big money to stay with them, then he could very well be on his way somewhere else. Now, I say that's an overreaction because what are the odds that Philadelphia actually does that or actually cuts ties with Carson Wentz? Right now, I don't think it's good. If they were to miss the playoffs or have a losing record, well, I don't know that it's his fault. I think his receivers, his secondary, have a lot more to do with the Eagles' struggles than him. But we've seen it plenty of times in football where the guy who's not at fault is the scapegoat. And when you're the quarterback of a team with high expectations in a high-strung sports city like Philadelphia, then you're in the forefront. You're the face of that franchise. That's where my overreaction comes in. He needs to be the guy who can give Philly a chance to get into the postseason. If they miss the playoffs or they have a losing record, it can't be because of him. And right now, he's not doing enough to make Philly fans think it's not because of him. How about the revenge game that everybody had somewhat of an eye on? Pittsburgh takes down Cleveland 20-13. to Devlin Hodges continues to light things up. Now, 2-0 as a starter. Maybe the bigger story, though, was what happened leading up to the game. You had the trash talk, of course. We all know what happened a few weeks ago. You had Pittsburgh players all wearing T-shirts saying, free, pouncy. And then Freddie Kitchens wears a shirt that says, Pittsburgh started it. Freddie Kitchens, head coach of the Cleveland Browns, in reference to the Miles Garrett-Mason Rudolph fight a couple of weeks ago on Thursday Night Football. Here's the thing. It's just not a good look. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong or whether Pittsburgh started or not. Pittsburgh did start it. I mean, Mason Rudolph is not blameless, just my opinion. But that doesn't warrant getting cracked over the head with your own helmet. And to see your coach out there wearing a shirt that says Pittsburgh started it, implying that it's okay for someone to swing a helmet at another human being, to me is not okay. It's not a good look. That team is undisciplined, let's say it. They're on pace to set the NFL penalty record. They had such high expectations. They have way too much talent to miss the playoffs, yet they're going to. They're going to. Even if they went out, they're 9-7, and seven, and I don't think that's even good enough for a wild card. Not when you've got two 7-5 and five teams you're trying to chase down, one of whom you lost to yesterday. Freddie Kitchens did say he'd gladly wear that shirt again. I'm all for a coach sticking up for his player. But endorsing that or implying that that kind of action is okay, to me that's not a good look on Freddie Kitchen's part nor on the Cleveland Browns. The Rams take down the Cardinals 34-7. Okay, yeah, maybe the Rams are hanging around. They look good against teams that they're supposed to look good against. They haven't shown up in the big game like they've needed to, like they did last year. I still don't see this team as a playoff team. In fact, I believe that the 12 teams in playoff position right now, the six in each conference, are all going to make the playoffs. I don't think there's change. I think those 12 are going to make the field, and that does not include L.A. The Chiefs run wild over Oakland yesterday, 40-9. to Everything was going Kansas City's way yesterday. Although, give credit where credit's due. Josh Jacobs, 104 yards rushing on 17 carries yesterday. He's now got five games this season where he's hit the century mark in rushing yards. Now he's got 1,000 for the season. That is a Raiders rookie record. Now, in all fairness, Marcus Allen's rookie season was cut short to nine games via strike. But Josh Jacobs, to be mentioned in the same breath as a guy like Marcus Allen, 
Oakland hit a home run in the draft. Now, I'm going to get to this a little bit later on in the show, but remember how we were all laughing on draft night? We were all laughing at Gruden. Actually, I wasn't, but the majority of people were. Yeah, he might have hit a home run on quite a few of his draft picks, as it's turning out. He had the Broncos with a last-second field goal following a questionable P.I. call beat the Chargers 23-20. to Drew Locke is making Elway look stupid for not starting him earlier. Drew Locke, he was pretty good yesterday, albeit struggled a little bit after halftime, but he was 18-28, 134 yards, two TDs, was picked once in his NFL debut. Leads his team to a divisional win. Chargers, meanwhile, Phillip Rivers, he always has the ball late, needing to put together a game-winning drive. And he put together a game-time drive in the final minute. But that used to be where Rivers would thrive. Now he's at the point where you're looking at that as a glass-half-full situation at best. And the Chargers are that team. I mentioned earlier the Eagles and maybe one other team I was going to mention, being the Chargers, could be teams that it sounded silly at the beginning of the year could be looking for a new quarterback. But the Chargers might. There are rumors going around that Phillip Rivers could be benched this week. They've got Terod Taylor. In the last few weeks, what's been the biggest flaw in Rivers' game? Turning the ball over. Ball security. Terod Taylor just doesn't do that. Terod Taylor may not have the intangibles that Rivers does, but he's a ball security guy. He's not going to turn the ball over. And then how about Sunday night football? Houston taking down the Patriots 28-22. A little bit of a whimper to the finish line, but it's a big win nonetheless as the Texans beat the Patriots for the first time in franchise history. Tom Brady had one of his worst games of his career as an NFL quarterback last night, including the worst first half statistically of his NFL career in any game since he's come into the league. And you keep getting those questions, is Brady washed? I don't think he is. I don't think he's there yet. He's certainly on the decline. But this is a guy who is getting up there. He wants to play till he's 45. I still believe he could and still be serviceable. But the Patriots are a team that are going to start to be pondering those questions. they got to ask themselves these questions. At what point do we need to start looking to the future? By the way, I'm going to update our pick'em standings when we come back from break. Do you remember last week... Guy's giving me grief for picking Houston. Houston, I just had a feeling. Well, Jake Duran had that feeling too. Jake and I, the only ones who picked Houston to win last night, and that does come true. We'll update those next. Plus, I'm going to give you my coaches' power rankings list. NFL coaches and their power rankings at this point in the year. Next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Who has done more with less? We're going to answer that question here coming up in this segment. But first, I want to give you an update on our Pick'em standings, our Pick'em League. I've still got the lead. I'm still going to have the lead by the end of the night because Jake Durant, who's one game back of me, also picked Seattle but that's the thing. Jake is cutting it pretty close. I'm 43 and 21. Jake is 42 and 22. So I got a one game lead. Ryan Stieg is at 39 and 25. Tyree Smith, 37 and 27. John Michael Hoefling, 35 and 29. I mentioned before the break that Jake and I went out on a limb last week and we picked Houston to beat the Patriots last night. Didn't have any reason for doing it. Just kind of based it off feelings. It would be the first time Houston ever beats New England. And it came true. 
And it came true, and Jake and I separate from the pack just a little bit. Tonight we've got Seattle hosting the Vikings for Monday Night Football. John Michael and Ryan each pick the Vikings. The rest of us are going with Seattle. The Vikings are going to be without Adam Thielen. It's just tough to win in Seattle. They have one of the best home field advantages in all of football. It's a tall order for the Vikes tonight, especially when Seattle has a chance at getting the number one seed 13 weeks into the year. I tell you, though, let me ask you this question. Who has done more with less this year? Or maybe a better way of thinking about this coaching power ranking system that I'm about to give you is who has really done the best coaching job? Who's had to go outside of their comfort zone to help their team win? Whose mind and their leadership skills have been put to the test? And so far, they've passed. I'm going to give you my coaches' power rankings in the NFL. We talk about players' power rankings, team power rankings. How about coaches' power rankings? When you literally take the definition of coaching, meaning doing more with less, and how good of a schemer are you? How good of a leadership guy are you? How do you manage a locker room? How do you develop a game plan? All that has been taken into account. And I've got a top 10. Five that I want to give you for honorable mention, and then we'll count down my top five. And for honorable mention, I'm putting in no particular order here. John Gruden, again, we all laughed at him. Draft night, Raiders didn't have high expectations, but Gruden is showing that he can be a pretty good NFL coach. They said the game had passed him by. Now, this is hard to do because they're coming off a 40-9 to loss. Everyone has those kind of days. Everybody has bad days in the NFL. Now, granted, they haven't looked good the last couple of weeks, but the Raiders are still in the playoff race at 6-6, six and six, and Gruden has a lot to do with that. Gruden has outcoached the talent on that team, so to speak. Who else is on honorable mention? Well, they're coming off a loss yesterday, too, but I'm going to say Frank Reich. He's an offensive-minded coach, and what happened a month before the season started, a little less than that, with Andrew Luck retiring... And he had to develop a whole new offense around Jacoby Brissett. And Frank Reich, who is a former NFL quarterback himself, was able to mold Jacoby Brissett into being a consistent starter every week in the NFL. To me, that deserves credit. Again, Indy is struggling record-wise overall. But Frank Reich has helped this team along. And they are overperforming for where they should be because of his coaching job. I think you can say the same for... One of his divisional rivals, actually the coach who beat him yesterday, Mike Vrabel. I'm giving Vrabel honorable mention. His team started this year with a bang. They took on Cleveland in week one, went into the dog pound, and made a statement. A 30-point win against a team with Super Bowl aspirations. Then, his starting quarterback just doesn't perform. So he goes out and he turns it over to the backup, makes the switch, and just like that, Tennessee's in playoff position, or at least they're in a position to control their own destiny at 7-5. and five. Mike Vrabel absolutely deserves a ton of credit for the job that he was able to do, not only with Ryan Tannehill, but he's a defensive guy, the job that he's done with that defense and what he did with the offensive line, managing the four-game suspension that Taylor Lewan was hit with. Mike Brabel absolutely deserves consideration this year as far as being in the coaches' power rankings. Who else is up here? Well, Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to give him honorable mention. You could put him in the top five. You could. But there are a lot of good pieces with that 49er team. There really are, especially on defense. 
They've gone out and made some good moves as far as getting guys like Emmanuel Sanders. Jimmy Garoppolo has been struggling. And maybe you can hold that against Shanahan. I personally think that he's good enough offensively. In fact, he's a genius offensively that he is winning in spite of Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know that we have a big enough sample size of Jimmy G without Shanahan or without any genius head coach for that matter to be able to tell, is he really holding this team back and Shanahan is bringing him forward? Either or, Shanahan should get credit for what he's done. But there are a few guys that I like more for the top five. Last honorable mention here to round out six through ten. Again, no particular order. I'm going with Sean Payton. Just for the fact that his team went 5-0 and with a backup quarterback. That being said, I'm not going to put him in the top five because you still have Michael Thomas, a guy who should be in the MVP conversation. You've still got a really good backup quarterback, a guy that very well could and should be starting next year. You've got a really good team other than your quarterback. Still, to go 5-0 and with a backup quarterback in the NFL, I mean, that, that's impressive. And give credit where credit's due. But again, there are five guys I like better for the top five as far as my NFL head coaching power rankings. So let's jump into the top five. At number five, I'm going with Sean McDermott from the Buffalo Bills. Now, he's a defensive-minded coach. And you saw Thursday night what kind of game plan he schemed up against Dallas. That was brilliant. That was brilliance on display. Can you name anybody in the Buffalo Bills defense? Off the top of my head, I can't. I can't, and I think the majority of our listeners probably couldn't either. Yet McDermott has them as one of the premier defenses in the NFL. They are a scary group. And they're not just a scary group, but they're part of a good team. They're 9-3. and three. The Bills are winning largely in part to the fact that their defense is playing so well. That they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. And Sean McDermott is the guy who schemed that. Despite the lack of superstar talent, That defense has carried Buffalo. Now, granted, Josh Allen's play has improved over the last few weeks, and he's been a big reason why Buffalo's been successful. Give credit where credit's due, but you've got to look at that defense and just be scared going up against them. That is what Sean McDermott has done for that Buffalo team. At number four in my coach's power rankings, I'm going with Matt LaFleur, the Green Bay Packers. LaFleur was a guy who was already hearing the rumors about how's your relationship with Rodgers. They must have a toxic relationship before he'd ever coached a game, before he even coached a preseason game. He came into a situation where the last coach was fired because the quarterback wanted to coach the team. Let's be honest, Aaron wanted to coach that team and kind of was the de facto coach of that team. So LaFleur is following a guy who just lost his job because he didn't keep the quarterback happy. Imagine the pressure that you got to be under, especially when you factor in that you need to win now because Aaron Rodgers isn't getting any younger, and yet, besides Devontae Adams, you really don't have another star receiver. You had Jimmy Graham, who was coming off a down year. In fact, he's had a fairly decent year, fairly productive year. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling is probably your number two receiver, and he's been fairly pedestrian the last couple of weeks. Alan Lazard has stepped up. You're without EQ St. Brown, who saw some good minutes last year. Sure, you had the slip up against San Francisco, but for the most part, you factor in the pressure that he was under to win immediately in Green Bay, and LaFleur has pushed all the right buttons. He has pushed upwards of 90% of the right buttons so far this year. And for me, he is number four in my head coach's power rankings this year. At number three... I'm going with Mike Zimmer, the Minnesota Vikings. Zimmer 
had a set game plan going into this year. He knew what he wanted to do, and that was run the football. That was ground and pound and let his defense, which is his specialty, see the field as little as possible, control time possession, and establish a ground game. Well, he did that, and it worked fairly well early on. The Vikings got off to a good start, but the locker room didn't like that game plan. Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs, they were voicing their frustration. They weren't getting the ball enough. They're maybe the best wide receiver combo in football, and they weren't getting utilized even half the time. I think it was like 60 to 40 was the split between rushing plays and passing plays early on before they called out Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. Well, Mike Zimmer had to balance that. Mike Zimmer had to, in season, change his coaching philosophy, change his scheme, and still manage that locker room. Where your quarterback's getting called out, and Kirk Cousins, by the way, handled it very well. He's been playing some of the best football of his life. And Zimmer, I know he's a defensive guy, but he had a hand in that because of how he managed the locker room, dealing with those personalities. And I don't think the Vikings have a lot of personalities, but they certainly voiced their frustration. And then changing his scheme midseason to adjust to get his wide receivers involved more. To me, that's excellent coaching. And Mike Zimmer deserves number three in my coach's power ranking list. At number two, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Loses a future Hall of Fame quarterback in week two. Has to go to the backup. Well, the backup, you know, he's a backup. He's okay. But he brings in all sorts of other problems, including that altercation with the Cleveland Browns a few weeks ago. Despite all that, Tomlin is able to get his team back on the right track. After a 1-4 and four start, they're suddenly 7-5. and five. And Devlin Hodges, the third-string quarterback, is the guy who's starting right now. He's 2-0. and oh. Mike Tomlin managed that locker room, turned it around after the start they had, a disastrous start in which they lose Ben Roethlisberger for the season, and now he has Pittsburgh in playoff position. If the season ended now, Pittsburgh would be a wildcard team. You have Mike Tomlin to thank for that, because what was the biggest criticism of him last year with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell? He can't manage a locker room. He disproved that this year. He disproved that in the last couple of weeks handling the Miles Garrett-Mason Rudolph incident. And he's still been able to scheme with a third-string quarterback to help his team win and get into playoff position. That is excellent coaching from Mike Tomlin. That's why he's number two on my list. And number one, should be no surprise, it's John Harbaugh of the Baltimore Ravens. John Harbaugh adjusts his scheme, not just this year, but mid-season last year we started seeing it. He adjusted that scheme From a pro-style pocket passer, Joe Flacco, to a run-heavy, kind of a unique, dynamic, hybrid quarterback in Lamar Jackson. And now the Ravens are the number one seed in the AFC. They've won eight in a row. They are the Super Bowl favorites, according to Vegas, because of what John Harbaugh did. In the front office, to their credit as well, John Harbaugh was able to go to them and say, This is what I want to do. This is what I want to scheme. I need you to go and get me the pieces to make this scheme work. They went out and they loaded up on tight ends. They'll have three tight ends on the field at one time. They went out and got a heck of a running back with Mark Ingram. If you're a coach in the NFL, is there anybody you would hate to scheme against more than the Ravens? Is there any team that costs you more sleep on game week than the Baltimore Ravens? I don't think so. Is Lamar Jackson... Extremely talented. Yes, he is. And did the front office do the right things, building up the right team around Jackson to be successful? Of course. 
But to change your whole coaching philosophy, and Harbaugh's been doing this for years now. He's been in the league 12 years, and he was on the hot seat last year, if you remember. He went all in on Lamar Jackson. He changed his whole scheme and his whole dynamic, his whole coaching philosophy to revolve around this quarterback. That is tough to do after more than a decade at the NFL level, to put all your trust in a guy whose skill set has been linked to injuries. But he took that chance, and it's paying off for the Ravens. That's why John Harbaugh right now is at the top of my coach's power rankings. That's my list, one through five again. Harbaugh, Tomlin, Zimmer, LaFleur, and McDermott. Honorable mentions, you got Gruden in there, Vrabel, Reich, Shanahan, and Peyton. Let's take another timeout. When we come back, big weekend in college football. What do we learn next on ESPN-UP? Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Louisville is the new top-ranked team in men's college basketball, followed by Kansas, Maryland, Michigan Rockets up to number four. That is the largest jump in the history of the AP poll, with Virginia rounding out the top five. So basically, Louisville now has a target on their back. Number ones just keep going down this year. Basically, it's just who's going to beat Louisville this week. And the thing is, they play Michigan tomorrow night in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. You have one against four. It is entirely realistic that number one goes down again. That would give us four top-ranked teams going down before Christmas, before we even hit mid-December. I don't know if that's ever happened before. By the way, Sparty comes in at number 11. Mark Stein of the New York Times is reporting that the NBA is considering introducing a mid-season cup-style tournament in time for the 2021-2022 season that would commemorate the league's 75th anniversary. Stein also reports that an extra draft pick has been proposed as the prize for the winning team. I could get into that. I could give him some thoughts on that, but I know I'm going to be talking a lot here in the closing segments on some other subjects. We'll save that for a later time. And finally, the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council has issued an official ruling regarding whether a hot dog is considered a sandwich. It's not. The council says that a hot dog is in fact not a sandwich, that limiting a hot dog's significance by saying it's just a sandwich is like calling the Dalai Lama just a guy, said Janet Riley, president of the NHDSC. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along as we get into the back half of our show on this Monday afternoon. Well, today I'm coming back from lunch, prepping out the show segments a little bit more, putting on the finishing touches. I wanted to talk about, I want to use this time to talk about college football coaches more specifically because we're going to get into a lot of the results and how they're going to impact the rankings during tomorrow's show. I want to talk about coaches specifically. I was planning on coming in here and talking about the 10 FBS coaching openings. And I sit down after I get back. I get a text from my father says, Minshew Mania lives on another week. So I check Twitter because if it's on Twitter, it must be true. And sure enough, the Jacksonville Jaguars have named Gardner Minshew starting quarterback for this week's game against the Chargers. And anyone who listens to this show knows this show's obsession with Gardner Minshew. There was something else that caught my eye while I was scrolling Twitter when I got back from lunch. And you know how big it's got to be if it overshadows Minchu. And it was that Chris Peterson 
a coach that I thought has been one of the best throughout college football in terms of doing more with less, is abruptly resigning as head coach of the Washington Huskies football team. I was planning to talk about the 10 FBS Division I college football coaching vacancies, and now we've got 11. As of a couple hours ago with Peterson's abrupt announcement, we have 11. Let me explain why Peterson is one of those guys who's always done more with less. I've always thought he was a really good, really underrated coach. You think about recruiting in the Pacific Northwest. If you're a four or five-star athlete, where do you go? Where do all the fours and fives go? Well, they go to Oregon. Then it's Washington, Washington State, fighting amongst themselves for the twos and threes. Oregon State gets whatever's left. Boise State gets whatever's left. By the way, he had success at Boise State, too, if you remember. And if you think about it, if you're a star offensive player, a star quarterback, you're probably going to want to go to Washington State over to UW. That kind of offense, that system, that coach. I'm sure Chris Peterson got a lot of rejections from four or five star quarterbacks. But even still, he perennially made Washington a contender, largely with two and three star recruits. You would never see Washington having one of the best recruiting classes while Peterson was there. Yet he did more with less. We talked about NFL coaches who did more with less in the last segment. Well, this is pretty much the standard at the college level. What Chris Peterson was able to do not only at Washington, but at Boise State before he got there. So Peterson announces that he will resign following the Huskies bowl game, which, by the way, will be their sixth consecutive bowl game. Yeah, they didn't accomplish what they wanted to this year. This year didn't go as they thought it might. They finished 7-5. and five. They're used to being in contention for the Pac-12 title. That one year they made the college football playoff with John Ross. So Jimmy Lake is going to be the team's new head coach. And here's why that's significant. This is what makes me wonder, because I don't think we've heard the last of this story or even the full version. Because Jimmy Lake has been one of the most highly sought-after head coaching candidates by multiple schools for years now. As strapped as Washington was when it came to recruiting, they have turned into one of the best defensive teams in the country. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed out of the last five, six years to find any school in the country whose defensive backfield was better over the course of the last five, six years. You'd be hard-pressed to find one. This year, of course, you have LSU. They're DBU this year. But Washington, they're not far off, and they haven't been for a long time. Jimmy Lake, as defensive coordinator, has been a big part of that. So why hasn't he left? He could get about any job that he wanted to over the last few years. He's been a highly talked about candidate. And you think about the jobs that have been open the last couple of years, Ohio State being one. How about Texas? We're talking some of the biggest names in college football. And he decided that he was going to stay at Washington. Now, is that because... It's a Belichick McDaniel situation because he knew he was going to take over that program? Was this scripted? Did Chris Peterson really just say, as he told us in the press release, that it's time to recharge at age 55? I want to spend more time with family, so I'm going to take an advisory role at UW? There's got to be more to this story, doesn't there? And I'm not saying it has to be negative. I'm not saying it has to be something criminal or any kind of misconduct. Because if that were the case... Why would Washington give him a job? Why wouldn't they cut all ties with him if there was a skeleton in his closet that they were going to pick up on? To me, this just seems too sudden, yet it's got the hints of being scripted. I think there's a lot more here, and it's going to come to light 
here over the next few weeks. His career record, 146-38 and 38 between Washington and Boise State. He's the highest paid coach in the Pac-12. A guy like that doesn't just step away for an advisory role. I just It's hard for me to picture. He's got it made at Washington. I'd love to expand and speculate more on that because that's all we can do right now. We don't know a whole lot more than that. But I've got some other coaching vacancies that I want to touch on, and I am running out of time. So I want to get to this. We have 11 Division I head coaching vacancies. Greg Chiano rehired at Rutgers. We'll see how that goes. And now Chris Peterson leaves as the Washington head coach. A few of these we've known for a few weeks now, like Florida State cutting ties with Willie Taggart. We know that job has been open. They've been actively searching. Chad Morris was fired by Arkansas a few weeks ago. We know they've been actively searching. Bob Davey at New Mexico, we've known for about a week that he was going to be gone. Old Dominion, UNLV, San Antonio. And then we had some Power 5 schools that made moves over the weekend. You had some, like Texas and Arizona State, that cleaned house at the coordinator level. Some of them are getting all-new coaching staffs entirely. They announced this weekend schools like Boston College, who cut ties with Steve Adazio after seven years. South Florida, who's cutting ties with Charlie Strong, who at one time looked like he was the man for the Texas football program. Then he goes to South Florida, and he goes 3-14 and against teams with a 500 record or better as their head coach. And how about poor Matt Luke? The last game that he's going to coach at Ole Miss is going to be marred by one of his players crawling on all fours in the end zone, pretending to urinate like a dog, and getting a flag for it, which inadvertently cost his team that game. Maybe the biggest opening, though, and maybe the most surprising opening, it surprised me, was the fact that Missouri let go of Barry Odom this weekend. I'm just going to go out and say that Barry Odom is a good coach. That doesn't mean he shouldn't have been fired. If you want to sum up Odin's tenure in Columbia, Missouri, it could probably be done by just saying, okay. Because he went 25-25, and 25, made a couple of bowl games, lost both those bowl games, and he had an under 500 record in SEC play. He was 13-19. and 19. I get Columbia is a tough place to recruit. Columbia, Missouri, especially when you're playing in the SEC. But I think that was Odom's downfall. I think Barry Odom can coach. I really do. I think he struggles as a recruiter. And I think there are some schools that could be good fits for Barry Odom. He is a good coach. And I do believe that he can have a head coaching job somewhere else next year if he wants one. I do believe that. But I think this was a case of the wrong guy for the school. Or that was just the wrong fit for him. If you're a Missouri fan, I never want to take pleasure in somebody losing their job or make light of it. But if you're a Missouri fan, this is somewhat of a good sign because the school is showing what their standard is for the football program. We're not too far removed from the 2007 season. Gary Pinkle, Chase Daniel, they're not too far removed from that. And with Missouri saying this is our standard, it's not just going to be okay, average. We're going to be decent. They're saying that they want to contend for titles. And Barry Odom was fine. He was okay during his time at Missouri. Missouri saying, that's not our standard. We are not settling. We are ready to get back to the national spotlight, and we are going to find a guy to help us get there. So who's that guy? 
I really believe, I really truly believe, and I don't know if they've made contact with him. I don't know if he wants the job. I do believe, though, that the front runner for the Missouri job is Lane Kiffin. He's got SEC ties with Tennessee and Alabama. Granted, <laughs> those aren't good SEC ties with the way things went down at Tennessee and how he left Alabama. But he's a guy that's been succeeding at the Group of Five level with Florida Atlantic. And he is a great recruiter. Lane Kippen can recruit. That's the thing. That's what Mizzou was missing with Barry Odom. He struggled as a recruiter. Lane Kiffin is a good offensive-minded coach, and he's very vocal, can get you in the national spotlight. He can recruit. He can make recruits want to come to Columbia, Missouri. That's why I believe Lane Kiffin is the front runner, although I don't have any reports to justify that. I'm just going on a hunch. Lane Kiffin is the front runner at Mizzou. So who are some other coaches that could be on the move, or who else could be filling these vacancies? Well, the big one, the biggest name out there, has got to be Joe Brady, the LSU passing coordinator. What he's done with that offense, with that receiver group, with Joe Burrow, he's got to be the hottest name as far as assistants go. Unless you can get a veteran somewhere else or bring somebody like Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer out of retirement, Joe Brady has got to be one of the hottest names on that list. I think Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator at USC, would be a good fit for a group of five head coaching job. And he's from Texas. He played at Texas Tech. I think he would be great if he wanted to take over one of those jobs. University of Texas, San Antonio, something like that. I think he'd be a great group of five head coach early on in his career. I don't think he's ready for a power five head coaching job. He'd be a great coordinator. And I know that Tom Herman, head coach at Texas, is interested in bringing in Graham Harrell as the team's offensive coordinator. I think he'd be great in that role. If you're looking for a defensive-minded coach, I think Dan Lanning from Georgia is somebody that you need to give a call to. I think that Clark Lee at Notre Dame is somebody that's going to be sought after if you're looking for a defensive coordinator. Morgan Scaley at Utah, the job that he's done with the Utes and their D this year. It might be a stretch, but this college football offseason, as far as filling your coaching vacancies, whether at the coordinator level or as a head coach, this could be one of the funnest that we've seen in recent memories. I don't know that it rivals NBA offseason, which has gotten more interesting than the regular season, but this is going to be fun. The fireworks are going to start flying. Greg Schiano was rehired at a school, rehired at Rutgers, and that's been largely passed over because of the coaching circuit happening right now. And I don't think that we're anywhere near done. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, let's play over-under with Championship Week matchups next on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. It's Championship Week here on ESPN-UP. I love Championship Week. I know these games are just useless sideshow attractions. They don't help anybody who's in it, especially if you lose. But I like them anyway. I like them. I like the pageantry with it. That being said, if college football decided to do away with them, I'd be okay with that. Because how does this weekend benefit a team like Georgia or LSU, whoever loses that game? Two teams that are already in the top four, they'd rather just not play this weekend, lose their stock. Either or, we are going to play over under as it's so inappropriately named on this show. I'm going to give you the lines according to Bet Online in Vegas for 
every conference championship game this weekend. I'll tell you, should you take the over, the under, the points, you want to go against the grain, go with an upset, I'll give you my thoughts. Again, it's going to be poor gambling advice. Be about as poor gambling advice as you can find, but that's what we're here for in ESPN-UP. Let's jump into it. Friday night, we've got the Pac-12 championship game. Utah, a win, and it would be hard to keep them out of the college football playoff. Again, I don't agree with it. But a win and they're probably in. They are five-point favorites over Oregon. Oregon's got no shot at the playoff. It's got to be Utah to represent the Pac-12 for the first time since Washington a few years ago. I'm actually going with the upset in this one. I still think Oregon's a better team than Utah is. I really do. They had the bad loss to Arizona State. Utah got beat by a third-string quarterback. I'm I'm just going to hold that against them. Because to me, that does not scream you're deserving for a college football playoff spot. I think Oregon's a better team. I really do. They laid an egg against Herm Edwards in Arizona State. But Justin Herbert's got something to prove. I think they pull the upset and they win the Pac-12 this weekend. You've got Oklahoma taking on Baylor, a rematch of a meeting a couple of weeks ago that had a little bit of everything in it. Baylor blew that big lead. Oklahoma came back and won. The Sooners favored by 10 to win the Big 12 championship this weekend. For me, it's hard to not go with Oklahoma and take the points. I am going with Oklahoma. I think they're going to win, but do I think they'll win by 10? I kind of do. They're giving me no reason to think that they aren't right now. They're coming off a big win against Oklahoma State, who's an 8-4 and team. Not bad. And what they did against Baylor, how they were able to rally that second half. When it comes down to it, I just trust Lincoln Riley more than I do Matt Rule. I trust Jalen Hurts more than I do Charlie Brewer. Do I trust him by 10 points more? Yeah, I think I do. I think I do because Oklahoma knows that they need to make a statement if they want to get back to the college football playoff. Lincoln Riley just has a knack at getting guys ready for games like this. I'm going to take the points, Oklahoma, to win the Big 12 this weekend and do it in style. How about the Sunbelt Championship? You've got Appalachian State, four-point favorites. They take on Louisiana. Appalachian State... Now, first-year head coach, they're ranked 25th in the country. They haven't been a bad team. They've been one of the better group of five teams in college football this year. They did play Louisiana earlier this year, and they won 17-7, a game that App State really didn't play all that well in. Do I believe that they can win by four the second time around? Absolutely I do. This game is in Boone, North Carolina, at Kid Brewer Stadium. They've got the home field advantage going for them. I'm absolutely going to hammer the points here for App State. I think App State is going to succeed the four-point spread. How about a little Maction? We've got the MAC Championship at Ford Field coming up this weekend. Fire up Chip, Central Michigan, six-point favorites against Miami of Ohio. I've seen Miami of Ohio a little bit. I've not been overly impressed. They're a 7-5 and five team. They have the same conference record as Central Michigan at 6-2. and two. But you know what? I kind of want to pull the upset in this one. I kind of want to pick the upset. Being in Michigan, sure, I'll cheer for the chips. I'll say fire up chips and hope that they can prove me wrong. I'm not putting money on the game. I don't care. But I look at Miami of Ohio. I like what they do offensively. I think they can give Central Michigan some real problems. So I don't know that I'm necessarily going to go with the upset, but I definitely will take the under on the six-point spread for the chips. How about... The Conference USA Championship game. Florida Atlantic, the fighting Lane Kiffins, favored by a touchdown over Alabama-Birmingham, a program that was defunct just a couple of years ago. And just like that, here they are, 
playing for the Conference USA Championship. That being said, I still like the way that Lane has been able to move that program along over in Boca. And I think I got to go with FAU in this one. But I don't think I'm going to take the points. I'm going to take the under on the Owls being seven-point favors despite getting to host this game. How about a rematch? The American Conference Championship. You've got Memphis taking on Cincinnati from the Liberty Bowl. They just played on Friday. A 10-point win for Memphis. It was essentially the Group of Five Conference Championship. Now they're actually going to play for the Conference Championship. Their own conference. Their own little group of the five. So Memphis won by 10 on Friday. They're favored by 10 this weekend against Cincinnati. Do I trust them to do it again? I think I do. I think I do. That's tough for me to say because I have a lot of respect for Luke Fickle and what Cincinnati's been able to do. This is risky, but you know what? I think I'm going to go with it. They have the home field advantage being in Memphis. Mike Norvell, he's going to want to make a statement. He's got, he knows he's got a few Power 5 jobs that could be open for him if he can continue to elevate this Memphis football program here in the last couple of games he'll coach there. I think I'll take Memphis and I'll take the points as they are favored by 10 over Cincinnati. How about the SEC? You've got the top-ranked team in the country, LSU. Seven-point favorites against Georgia for the SEC championship. LSU's closest test this year came to Alabama. And you put them on the same field as Georgia, you ask me, who are you betting on? I would say Bama. I would say Bama. So with LSU taking on a team that I just can't get out of my head, lost to South Carolina, and is somehow still in the top four, then yeah, I think I am going to take LSU with the points. LSU by seven. That being said, Kirby Smart and Georgia generally know how to get up for a big game like this. I don't think they're going to win it, but it wouldn't shock me if they get within four or five points, something like that. But I think if I were to place a wager, it'd be a small wager, and it would go on LSU to take the points. How about the Mountain West Championship? You've got Boise State. They are 15-point favorites against Hawaii. These two teams met earlier this year. Boise blew them out 59-37. to I don't see any reason why that should change. I think Boise is going to cover the 15-point spread, maybe keep going over. But, man, they've got a good offense for a group of five team. They have got a really good offense that might give a power five team or two. Yeah, but it'd probably give them a little bit of trouble. The ACC Championship, you've got Clemson 28-point favorites against Virginia, a team that's playing in the ACC title game for the first time ever. Clemson, no stranger to it, defending conference champs, defending national champs. Clemson favored by 28. You have the Who's coming off a very emotional win, first time in 15 years that they beat their in-state rivals from Virginia Tech. Meanwhile, Clemson is a team that had that test, that scare against North Carolina. They were able to survive 21-20. to And since then, they've looked a lot better. They are a team that's angry. They're starting to get it clicking offensively. Dabo Sweeney talking about how they have to go 30-0 and to get into the playoff because the perception is Clemson doesn't play anybody. They aren't tested by anybody in the ACC. Now, there are people who say if Clemson doesn't absolutely blow out the Who's in this game, that... They could get left out of the playoff despite going 13-0. and That will not happen. Just will not happen. If Clemson wins, even by the slimmest of margins this weekend, they're going to get into the college football playoff. That's just inevitable. But will they win by four touchdowns? 
UVA is a team that is better than people give them credit for. They've got a really good dynamic quarterback in Bryce Perkins, a guy that can use his legs more than most quarterbacks in the Power Five. He's a really mobile, dynamic quarterback. He can give the Clemson defense trouble if they're not disciplined. And defensively, that front seven for Virginia is no joke. And I guarantee this, I don't, I don't, you don't even have to take my betting advice on the game. Take my advice on this. If you're getting the over-under on how many times UVA is going to blitz Trevor Lawrence on Saturday night, hammer the over. Absolutely hammer the over. Because that is a pressure defense. They're aggressive, and they take the ball away. That's what's made them so successful this year. That's the only way they're going to have a chance against Clemson. That front seven is going to spend a lot of time in the Tigers' backfield. That being said, I don't think it's going to be enough. Would I take the 28-point spread, though? I'm going to be conservative and say no. I'm going to be conservative about it. I'm not putting any money on it so I can afford to do that. And then finally, the Big Ten Championship. You've got Ohio State 18-point favorites against Wisconsin. Well, they met earlier this year, and it was a decisive win for the Buckeyes. And this is a Wisconsin team that has suffered a loss to Illinois. They were in the top ten for a few weeks. They were saying, maybe this is the year. In a way, beating Minnesota like they did and still getting to the Big Ten title game kind of makes you come around if you're a Badger fan. It kind of brings this season all together. On the other side, you've got an Ohio State team that, based on the eye test, looks like the most dominant team in the country. Do I trust Wisconsin to win this game? I really don't. I, I think the Buckeyes are going to win. As my, I'd probably cheer for Wisconsin. Yeah, I'm not a Buckeye fan by any stretch. I don't know anyone up here who is. But realistically, yeah, the Bucks are probably going to win on Saturday. Wisconsin, though, I don't believe is going to lose by 18. I don't. I think it'll be a better game than that. I'd say probably about 10 is where I would set the line. That is over under points or now, whatever you want to call it. You can come up with a better name than me. But we play that every week here on the Sports Pen during the football season to close out the show on Monday. Championship week comes to ESPN-UP this weekend. Don't forget, coverage beginning Saturday at 11 a.m. We got a doubleheader, ACC Big 12 Championships. Both should be fun ones. With that, we're out of time for the day. Hitting the 5 o'clock hour. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. And it's my hope you join me. I'll have some Northern Michigan audio. I'll predict the college football playoff rankings heading into championship week. And we'll recap tonight's Monday night football game between the Seahawks and the Vikings. All that and more coming up on tomorrow's show. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN-UPWZAM Ishba. Marquette.